Hello, and welcome to the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast, brought to you by the North Carolina Sustainable Energy Association. I'm your host, Matt Abel. Squeaky Clean listeners, welcome to the 75th episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast, where we bring you the latest in North Carolina clean energy news, policy, and more every two weeks. On today's episode, we're covering the big news of the weekend. The U.S. Senate has passed the Inflation Reduction Act, with big implications for clean energy should it pass the House by the end of this week. We'll talk about what's in the bill, while also covering a report released last week showing just how many jobs were added to the clean energy economy across the country last year. Before we talk to our guests, though, we have a few announcements to share. First up, last week, the U.S. Secretary of Commerce was here in North Carolina to announce the largest grant awarded in the history of the university to North Carolina A&T State University, specifically focused on clean energy workforce development. The $23.7 million grant called Steps for Growth, is funded through the American Rescue Plan and will focus on workforce development in energy efficiency, renewable energy, clean vehicles, and storage. It will also establish regional training centers at various universities, community colleges, and high schools across the state. This is big news for a state that continues to see large investments from companies to continue building and deploying clean energy technologies across North Carolina. In other news, Governor Cooper just announced that Peter Ledford, currently NCSEA's general counsel and director of policy, would be stepping into the role as North Carolina's clean energy director. With this position, Peter will be serving in the governor's office to help achieve the goals outlined in Executive Order 246 and other clean energy-related EOs signed by the governor since the beginning of his term. Peter has been with the team here at NCSEA since 2014 and has been instrumental in shaping the policy and regulatory landscape in the state to have cemented our legacy as a nationwide leader in clean energy deployment. We're of course sad to see Peter leave the team at NCSCA, but are incredibly excited about this next step in his career journey and look forward to working with him in his next role. Okay, on to the show. As you probably have heard by now, there's been a lot of action at the federal level as it relates to clean energy legislation, especially in the past two weeks where any clean energy action seemed all but dead. But then, out of the blue, we received an announcement that Senators Joe Manchin and Chuck Schumer had reached a deal on clean energy. Then the bill was brought to a vote this past weekend, where it made it through the Voterama to receive the tie-breaking vote in favor from Vice President Kamala Harris. Now, the bill itself is on to the House for a vote this Friday. So on today's episode, we'll be spending some time talking about the Inflation Reduction Act, the path it's taken to get to where it is today, and what's included in the bill for clean energy, and how that may impact the state of North Carolina. So with that, let's get into today's show. Clean energy. Clean energy. Today's guest on the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast is the executive director for E2, where he oversees E2's work across the country, coordinating their staff and chapters stretching from Boston to San Diego. Our guest speaks regularly about the economic benefits of smart environmental policies the clean energy economy, jobs and related issues, and has been widely quoted in publications nationwide. Prior to joining E2 in 2011, our guest spent more than 20 years as a political, business, and environmental journalist. 
He served as the chief Washington correspondent for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, as a California-based national reporter for Cox Newspapers, as a technology editor for the Austin American Statesman, and as a business and investigative reporter for the St. Petersburg Times. Our guest also co-founded a technology news website and has co-authored or edited several business-related books. He is a graduate of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and was a fellow at the University of Southern California's Annenberg School for Communication and Journalism. Friends of the pod, please welcome Bob Keep, Executive Director of E2, to the podcast. Bob, welcome to the pod. Oh man, it's great to be with you again, Matt. Thank you. So as our listeners may remember, you joined us back on episode 34 with Ivan Erlob to talk about the results of our collaborative efforts to track clean energy jobs here in the state of North Carolina. So I'd love to start the conversation off here today with a a short reminder for our listeners about the role of E2 in the clean energy market and previous efforts to track clean energy jobs across the country. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for that, Matt. So E2 is a national nonpartisan organization of business leaders all across the country. We've got about 11,000 members and supporters who work or do business in just about every single state in the country and uh, across just about every sector of the economy. Uh, A lot of those are in clean energy, but we have business leaders, investors, others who work in everything from running restaurants in Asheville, North Carolina, to real estate firms on Wall Street. But the one thing they know, Matt, is, is what you and I both know, is that the economy and the environment are not at odds, but they really depend on one another. And uh, we've been working in North Carolina for probably more than a decade now. We first got started defending the, the state's renewable uh, energy standard. The, the RES that is unique in the Southeast and one of the reasons that North Carolina has been a leader in clean energy, but we've also worked on now uh, offshore wind, now pushing for clean vehicle, clean car, clean truck standard in the state of North Carolina and other uh, policies that are going to make the state's environment better while also making the economy better. We've got a great chapter uh, in the Southeast that's really kind of headquartered in North Carolina. We've got a fantastic state advocate uh, that you know, Zach Amitai, out west. There's a lot of good things happening in North Carolina. I'm glad to be there. And just as an additional background for, for our listeners, while you're based in California, you do have ties back to North Carolina as well. I do. Well, yeah, I mean, North Carolina is my home, Matt. I grew up outside of Raleigh. My, I've got family in the Triangle area, family in Charlotte. And uh, when I think of home, that's what I think of. And uh, you, you come back home quite a bit, too. So it's really nice to, to have a chance to, to get to see you when you come to this part of the country. And, uh, you know, really, really glad to hear that, you know, North Carolina is such a priority state for E2. You all have been so involved at the state level and with our federal delegation here in, in the state of North Carolina. And we'll talk about some of that here in just a little bit. But on a more personal note, I'm really excited to share with our listeners that you yourself just recently released a book titled Climate Nomics. Washington, Wall Street, and the economic battle to save our planet. So in the book itself, you emphasize the point that investing in clean energy is, in fact, good business. And as you alluded to earlier, that business and the environment are not at odds with one another, but can work in tandem to create lots of economic opportunities for people all across the country. And you outline that narrative with some compelling examples, such as shifting business models of major oil and gas companies, while also pointing to the fact that EVs may be the future for major OEMs in Detroit. So for quite some time, 
as, as we mentioned, there was this counter narrative that clean energy and sustainability were at odds with business growth and expansion. So what has changed recently leading to these monumental shifts in investment and business models across the economy? You know, I don't think anything has really changed in terms of the connection between the economy and the environment, but people are just realizing it now more than ever. I mean, look, when it comes to climate change, for instance, we've talked about climate change for a long time as an environmental issue, as a social issue, as a health issue. Yes, it is still all of those things very much so, but it's also an economic issue, Matt. And the reason I say that is because last year alone in the United States, we had more than $150 billion worth of damage from climate-related disasters alone. In North Carolina, $6 billion a year on average from hurricanes, from flooding, from severe storms, et cetera, that are only exacerbated and made more expensive and more dangerous by climate change. So people realize what happened, for instance, in North Carolina in 2018, when we had 200-year floods in two years' time, 2017, 2018, Florence, $17 billion worth of damage. Four, as I outline in the book, and people point this out probably more than anything, four million chickens and turkeys were drowned in North Carolina alone uh, back in 2018 when Florence came ashore. Look at Camp Lejeune, uh, $4 billion worth of damage, 6,200 housing units, 70% of them damaged. Uh, and guess who pays for that? Me, you, every single American taxpayer. But Matt, they also see, people also see the economic connection more than ever now because they see companies like VinFast buying land in Chatham County for uh, what's going to be uh, an electric vehicle uh, production facility. They see Thomas built over in Greensboro building electric vehicles, electric buses, school buses. Now they see solar saving family farms all across the state. And they also see the number of people that are working in solar and energy efficiency uh, and clean vehicles, grid modernization in North Carolina and elsewhere. You know, you, you won't find many coal miners, you won't find many oil rig workers in the state of North Carolina, but I bet you have some neighbors that work in solar or energy efficiency and clean energy. So, and I know we're gonna talk about that a little bit later, but uh, people are just starting to realize that Climate change is an economic issue, both uh, with costs and with benefits to climate action. And you alluded to it in your comments a little bit earlier, but we've already seen some major investments from, for example, the utilities over in the coastal areas of North Carolina, like in Ocracoke, where they've built out a microgrid to be able to manage you know, wide-scale outages, which are becoming more and more common with the, the more frequent occurrences of, of hurricanes coming through that area. We've also seen with an event that your organization just hosted a few months ago, the military being really focused on resiliency, you know, as a energy security and a security related issue. And Fort Bragg, I believe it is, just recently invested in a, a one megawatt floating solar farm in that part of the state to ensure that the power can stay on at their facility if there were any sort of major storm-related issues coming through that part of the state. So we're seeing these coastal communities that are very vulnerable starting to invest more heavily in the clean energy space to prepare for the frequency of these storms coming through. Uh, absolutely, Matt. Absolutely. It is, and look, you pointed out Fort Bragg. It, it's a national security issue as well. But it's also, you know, it's a pocketbook issue. 
right now, as we know, solar and wind is the cheapest power available in just about any part of the country, including the state of North Carolina. Major companies are moving toward clean energy, yeah, because they want to do the right thing, but also because it saves them money. And there are reasons that Apple, Facebook, other major tech companies have moved to North Carolina in recent years, for instance. It's because they know they can get cheap, uh, clean, renewable energy. Uh, That's partly because of the policies that were passed in that state years ago, the renewable energy standard, things like that. When you look at uh, vehicles, electric vehicles are the cheapest vehicles to operate once you get past a premium and upfront cost, which are, by the way, shrinking literally by the day. And uh, especially when gas is still going up the other way at four, five, six dollars a gallon, seven dollars where I am, you know, those costs add up. And then look at the other leg of the stool, if you will, in clean energy, which is energy efficiency. People are saving money on their monthly power bills, whether it's consumers or businesses with energy efficient technology that really is kind of new in the scheme of things, but are bringing with them tremendous advantages. Simple things like LED lighting, Energy Star appliances, high efficiency HVAC systems. A lot of this technology has really caught up with the problem. The key now is that we got to deploy it as quick as we can to reduce carbon emissions. Uh, And the good news is by doing that, we can create jobs, we can drive economic growth, we can bring even more investments into the state of North Carolina and elsewhere. So talking about creating jobs, E2 has been in the the business of of tracking uh, clean energy jobs throughout the country for some time now. Can you walk us through the history of tracking these clean energy jobs and how that's changed hands over the past four to five years? And what does the future of clean jobs reporting look like in the country before we dive in specifically to the latest numbers? Yeah, sure. You bet. So as you mentioned, E2 has been tracking clean energy jobs for uh, almost a decade now uh, around the country. And you know, to be honest, we when we started doing this, there wasn't any data out there. We were literally scouring press releases and and uh, looking at what lawmakers were doing when they were going to ribbon cuttings, by the way, both Republicans and Democrats, and talking about how many jobs were being created by solar farm XYZ or, or whatever. Uh, and then we realized we needed to do a, a deeper dive into this stuff because it was happening. And so we hired a, a research firm probably, as I mentioned, almost 10 years ago, to start looking more closely using uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics data, uh, using uh, a survey of businesses across the country to track and see where these jobs were being created. And we did that for a number of years before the Department of Energy, the U.S. Department of Energy, got interested in this work and took it over for a while under former DOE Secretary Ernie Moniz. Uh, there was a lull in the in the Trump administration when they quit doing this at DOE. We stepped back in with other partners and other groups to continue that work. And now, fortunately, DOE is once Department of Energy is once again interested in energy jobs. By the way, both clean energy and fossil fuels, and they have since taken that work back over. But we work very closely with DOE, and what we do at E2 now, Matt, is we take the information found in the U.S. Energy Employment Report. Uh, that's put out by DOE. And we we uh, pull the clean stuff out of there. We pull out renewables, energy efficiency, clean vehicles, clean grid, batteries, clean fuels, etc. And do it in partnership, by the way, 
with you and NCSEA uh, there in North Carolina. And it's incredibly important work to continue to show how all of these investments being made in this space, all of these policies that have been passed in this space are leading to continued job growth and economic opportunities for states all across the country, for counties all across states like North Carolina, both rural and urban. So let's talk a little bit more specifically about what we saw with some of the latest jobs numbers that were released from DOE. Uh, And when we had our initial conversation about a year and a half ago, the reporting showed that North Carolina was home to 112,720 clean energy jobs. That was back in 2019. Then we saw a little bit of a dip attributed to the COVID-19 pandemic in which the industry saw a decline down to about 85,000 jobs. And then earlier this year, we saw a resurgence of those job numbers towards the end of 2020 with a total of 99,670 jobs across the state. So what sort of effects were felt by the clean jobs industry due to COVID and were these exclusive to clean jobs? Well, obviously COVID impacted every sector of our economy and frankly still is, let's not forget that it still is affecting a lot of uh, sectors of our economy. But the clean energy industry was, was hurt pretty badly across the country, not just in North Carolina. And that was for a couple of reasons. Number one was simply the availability of workers. Uh, when folks get sick, they can't go to work, right? And that's they, that means they can't build solar farms. They can't do the things that they've been doing in North Carolina and elsewhere. The, the other part of the uh, downturn due to COVID specifically for clean energy was around energy efficiency. And uh, the reason that happened is because obviously during the worst parts of COVID and still to this day, somewhat, but certainly a lot less than that, you know, we don't want strangers coming into our house. We don't want strangers coming into our buildings. We had buildings, office buildings that were closed all around the country. And so energy efficiency auditors, for instance, couldn't go in there and do their jobs. Um, we didn't want to launch major construction projects or or energy efficiency retrofits um, because we were unsure where the economy was going. Uh, and also because we didn't want, you know, folks in our offices, in our buildings that, that didn't need to be there. So energy efficiency and clean energy generally took a major hit during COVID. The good news, as you mentioned, is uh, we're coming back. So, so you mentioned we are coming back. So let's talk about the, the, the latest numbers that, that we saw from DOE. And how are we tracking for jobs numbers through 2021 and into 2022? Well, it's perfect timing, Matt, as you know, because uh, E2 just released our Clean Jobs America 2022 report last week, actually. Uh, And that's this is our analysis of uh, DOE and other data. And what we know now is that there are about 3.2 million Americans that work in clean energy across the country. That's up about 5%. Every single sector of clean energy grew nationally, from solar to wind to energy efficiency. Huge gains, by the way, in electric vehicles. We had a 26% increase in electric vehicle uh, manufacturing jobs last year. And then in North Carolina, there are about 104,000 people who work in clean energy right now in the state. It's down from where it was a few years ago, but it's back pretty strong after COVID in North Carolina. Clean energy jobs are up about 4% uh, for, at the end of last year from the previous year. 
when you look at the breakdowns, Matt, renewables, about 12,000 North Carolinians working solar and a few in wind, hopefully a lot more soon. Almost 9,000 working clean vehicles, and that's we know that number is going to grow. 3,500 in grid and storage, and 78,000 in energy efficiency across the state. So, uh, and as I mentioned, the state grew at about 4% last year in clean energy jobs. Still good, not as good as it was in 2020 when it was up 17%. There are some troubling, a few troubling clouds on the horizon, if you will. If you look at surrounding states, you know, Georgia was up 6%, South Carolina, Virginia up 5% plus. New Mexico, you know, it's not a neighbor, but New Mexico is leading the country now, 8% increase in clean energy jobs. So partly that's because North Carolina had been such a national leader in clean energy for so long. And it's a comparison of big numbers to numbers that just aren't growing as fast as they were previously. And But there's also policy implications in there as well. I would like to talk about that intersection between jobs and policy. And, you know, first and, and foremost, right, you, you mentioned North Carolina was a national leader in clean energy deployment, and we still are. But at one point, we were number two behind California. We've since dropped down to number four. And a lot of that has been a result of state level policy and regulation. However, you know, I think there are some opportunities that are in front of us, including through, you know, House Bill 951 that passed last year, uh, which you know, mandates that the North Carolina Utilities Commission comes up with a carbon plan to reduce carbon emissions within the electric utility sector by 70% by 2030. Uh, Duke's proposed their own plan. Uh, NCSEA and a number of other interveners have proposed their own plan. Should some iteration of, of those plans come into place that rely more heavily on clean energy, hopefully that will uh, kind of propel us back into that job trajectory of, of growth like we have seen in previous years. We've also seen some momentum at the, the federal level. So given the widespread investments we've already seen in clean energy through legislation like the Infrastructure Act, uh, have we already started to see those funds trickle down to the state level, leading to an increase in jobs and investments from the private sector? Absolutely. And look, I would, I would never uh, suggest that I know anything near state policy like you or NCSEA does. NCSEA knows uh, North Carolina policy, clean energy policy better than anybody. Uh, and thanks to you guys for your leadership uh, at the state level with your members and others to uh, make North Carolina a leader in clean energy over the years. And as you mentioned, yes, North Carolina is still a, a national leader. But it's, it's starting to, to drop a few steps here and there uh, because of what's happened in state policies with things like the, the Duke plan on uh, natural gas versus more uh, solar and wind and, and caps on solar and wind, that sort of thing. But yes, when it comes to federal policy, the state is already seeing some uh, advantages from the legislation that was recently passed around the infrastructure bill. And I know we're going to talk about the big the big enchilada here in a few minutes, but let's talk about the infrastructure bill to begin with. In North Carolina, that infrastructure bill included something like uh, uh, $910 uh, million for public transportation, almost a billion dollars for public transportation, electrifying public transportation. I think you remember uh, Vice President Harris and 
and other administration officials were in Charlotte, I think, at the end of the year to talk about electric buses and some of the first electric buses that are rolling out in the city's uh, public transit system. Great. There's another $110 million, I believe, for electric vehicle charging stations throughout the state of North Carolina. We're just starting to see those come online. And, you know, you're going to be able to drive from, from Wilmington to, to, to Asheville someday soon and, and have uh, enough EV charging that you can stop along the way and fill up uh, just as quickly almost as you can at a gas station, but for uh, substantially less money. Uh, and, and then uh, there's, the, there, there's the Inflation Reduction Act that just passed the Senate. And that is uh, going to be historic. It's going to bring the biggest investments in clean energy uh, the country has ever seen, including North Carolina, if we get it passed by the House in Washington. And that seems like a, a lower hurdle than the hurdle we just passed this past weekend, which was to see it pass the Senate. So as, as folks might know, this was the result of, of Build Back Better last year, where there was you know a significant number of provisions and funding allocated towards clean energy. And then in a surprise sort of announcement over the past week or so, we saw that uh, Schumer and, and Manchin had reached an agreement on a clean energy specific bill. And so I guess let's, let's talk about a little bit of the uh, the path that led from Build Back Better to what we just saw with the Inflation Reduction Act passing uh, the Senate this past weekend. Well, you were kind enough to mention the book uh, I just wrote, Matt, uh, Climatonomics. Uh, and, and really, the path of this legislation has gone from a major social bill that touched on a bazillion different things to really an economic, this is a this is an economic piece of legislation as much as it is a climate piece of legislation, uh, and I say that because included in the Inflation Reduction Act is about three hundred seventy billion dollars in clean energy uh, spending and investments and tax credits. That's huge, Matt. I mean, last time we had any sort of major concerted funding effort for clean energy in America was back in two thousand and nine when there was about $90 billion invested into clean energy. And look what we got out of that. We got, we really, it, established, it helped establish the solar industry in North Carolina and in a lot of other states through those investments. We had 100,000 solar and wind projects that were funded around the country back in 2009. We had 1 million homes that were weatherized, AKA energy efficiencyized that created a lot of energy efficiency jobs. We had DOE loan, Department of Energy loan to a little company called Tesla that was struggling, that literally revolutionized the auto industry and now has prompted every single uh, vehicle manufacturer in the world to shift into high gear when it comes to EVs. Now we're talking about an investment that is four times the amount of that, uh, $370 billion investing in clean energy. And it's coming at a time that, unlike when it was back in 2009, these aren't nascent technologies anymore. These are technologies that have advanced over the years and now are just make plain old common sense. I mean, what, what these investments will do, what the Inflation Reduction Act will do, in addition to reducing the federal budget, which will reduce inflation, what it will do is it will make solar and wind 
more available, more affordable to more Americans. It'll through tax credits, it'll bring down the price of electric vehicles, which has been kind of a, a stalling point for a lot of people. Everybody wants an EV, but they can't necessarily afford the upfront cost. Through the tax credits for electric vehicles, it'll make those vehicles more affordable, more available to more Americans. And then through major investments in energy efficiency and in innovation, particularly, we're going to see new types of clean energy that we can only dream of right now. And that's going to certainly help our economy. It's also going to help America's competitiveness around the world. So let's talk about some of the specific provisions that were included in, in the bill that passed the, the Senate this past weekend. You alluded to it a little bit, uh, electric vehicle tax credits, energy efficiency, but what specifically do those look like? Well, those look like direct investments. They look like, so for instance, in, in energy innovation through something called a green bank, uh, there's something like $35 billion worth of investments into uh, advancing innovation in clean energy. And by the way, with, a, with an important eye on uh, investing in companies and entrepreneurs and communities that are in low and moderate income communities, that are in communities of color that frankly have gotten bypassed by the Tesla revolution and the solar revolution. So it's going to be uh, expanding clean energy on a more equitable basis in many ways. What this also does, Matt, is that this sets for the first time, by the way, some clear guidance on how long tax credits for wind, for solar, uh, for batteries, for energy efficiency, products are going to be available. We're talking about 10 years worth of uh, certainty, if you will, for businesses that are in clean energy, for for consumers who want to buy electric vehicles and for the companies that make those. That certainty didn't exist before. And what we know is that just as important as the investments, the direct investments and the tax credits that will turbocharge the clean energy industry, just as important is, is the market signal that this sends to the clean energy industry and really the energy industry in general. Companies now have some certainty about where the energy infrastructure in America is going and it's going clean. In providing those, those signals and providing the economic certainty into the future is incredibly important. I mean, we saw earlier this year in quarter one, the solar industry really had one of its worst quarters in, in quite some time in anticipation of uh, results coming from the Department of Commerce into their investigations around circumvention. And so now we, we've seen the Biden administration put a, a two-year hold on any new tariffs for solar. We've also now seen signaling of you know an extension of investment tax credits through this bill. So that, that business certainty over the next 10 years is going to be incredibly helpful to continue to grow the industry, to allow the industry to make these widespread investments. And we've also seen provisions in that bill, which are really focused on onshoring the development of things like battery technology. So not only are we expanding the industry that we already have here, but we're creating new investments in expanding parts of the industry that have needed those investments for so long, like energy storage. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And we're doing it uh, at a time when other countries around the, the planet, by the way, have been doing this for some time. We've got a lot of ground to make up, but this is a, a great uh, start to that. 
progress on climate change can obviously be won pretty quickly, as we've seen in the past few weeks in Washington, but it also can be lost very quickly. And I say that because if you look at, for instance, a study that came out from Yale and Columbia universities a month or so ago, six years ago, the United States was number 15 in the world when it came to climate metrics, clean energy investments, that sort of thing. Number 15 in the world, not exactly the best spot for a country that's supposed to lead the planet. Today, we're at 101. So we've fallen behind almost every major Western democracy in the world. But the good news is we, we just saw how quickly progress can be made. And the Senate bill that was dead just a few weeks ago uh, was passed over the weekend and now is the most historic and far-reaching climate and clean energy policy in, our, in, in, in the history of the planet. That's not complete uh, hyperbole. So things can change quickly, both for the better and for the worst. And we need to be diligent about continuing to move forward. So just from the 40,000 foot perspective, what are the bigger implications of this bill? And what does it mean for clean energy and carbon emissions moving forward? Well, it means two things from the 40,000 foot perspective. Uh, first of all, this puts us on the track to reduce carbon emissions from this country by 40% by 2030. That's huge. Uh, the Biden administration, and it's not just the Biden administration, it's scientists who say, and, and others who say we need to do this, to avoid 300-year floods in two years' time in North Carolina and the other ridiculous heat waves like some of the country is experiencing right now uh, to keep those things from happening more frequently even. We need to reduce our emissions by 50 to 52% by 2030. Now, this legislation will re is on track to reduce those emissions by 40% uh, through shifting to cleaner energy sources, through shifting to cleaner transportation sources. We think and we hope that through state policies in leadership states like North Carolina, through business innovation that we know will come, through business expansion that we know will come irrespective of investments because of those market signals that are being sent now, the clarity they have around where the energy industry is going, uh, we think we can make up the rest of that amount and, and hit that 50% plus reduction by uh, by 2030, which it, <laughs> it it literally could save the planet. So that's a pretty big implication. I, I would agree. Yes. <laughs> so so lastly, at the at the end of your book, Climatonomics, you outline five things you've observed in your years as a journalist working in politics and also within the clean energy industry. I think these are, are five really important things to, to highlight for listeners. Can you talk about some of them a little bit more? Sure, absolutely. You know, first and foremost, policy matters. Policy works. Uh, we know that's the case in North Carolina because, again, the state has the only renewable standard in the southeast, and it's benefited greatly in terms of clean energy jobs. As you mentioned, was once not too long ago not the number two solar state in the country. I can tell you, and you know this, and everybody listening knows this, the sun doesn't shine any brighter in North Carolina than it does in South Carolina or Georgia or Florida or, or Virginia. So that growth has been largely as a, a part of successful policy. It matters. It works. You know, the other thing is government can't do this alone. Businesses can't do this alone. There are people who say that, sure, well, let's just leave business in the free market to make this happen. Well, that, that doesn't work, uh, unfortunately. It's, it's a great 
it's it's a great premise, but there are so many other levers on the free market system in the country right now. Case in point, a century of subsidies for fossil fuel industries that uh, we we have to have government uh, participation as well. Sure, businesses might have built out the railroads in America without the Railroad Act. Sure, uh, lighting may have come to rural North Carolina and the rest of the rural America without the Rural Electrification Act. You know, sure, we could have had the internet uh, perhaps uh, without the early uh, innovation that came from the Department of Defense with DARPAnet, but it wouldn't have happened like it has now and it wouldn't have changed our economy for the better like it has now. The other thing, Matt, and along those lines is, you know, we don't know the answers yet. We don't know all the answers, but we need to find them and we need to find them fast. And I also in there would, would say that we can't discount um, the importance of technology, of innovation, and of the businesses behind them. You know, as you mentioned, I was a, a journalist for 20 plus years, and I distinctly remember sitting in a room with other journalists and Steve Jobs of Apple and uh, Jobs telling us, someday you're going to have a thousand songs in your pocket and followed up not too long after by someday you're going to be taking pictures with your cell phone. And we were writing that down as skeptical journalists thinking, man, this guy is just crazy. He might be a visionary, but why would I get rid of my camera? You know, why would I have music on in, in my pocket? What's he talking about? I remember sitting with uh, Jeff Bezos of Amazon back when he was struggling as a to sell books online and him saying, someday you're going to be able to buy anything and everything off of my website, including dog food. I don't know why he always brought up dog food, but it was a big thing for Jeff Bezos to sell dog food online uh, back then anyway. I, I remember being with the Google guys in Silicon Valley and them saying, someday you're going to be able to go on the internet from any computer in any place in the world and find out anything that was ever published or digitized or whatever. And I wrote that down. I was like, man, these guys are dreamers. Look, look how fast all of that technology and that, that innovation has changed our world, Matt. Look how fast it's changed our, our economy. I truly believe that clean energy, that clean transportation is at that phase now. And with the policies that are getting passed in Washington now, uh, we're going to move a lot quicker toward that. So, you know, those are some of the big takeaways that 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 I've noticed. And uh, it's an exciting time. And the urgency is real to deploy as much technology as we can now, while also investing in future research and development efforts to determine or find out that next new technology that's going to continue to move us further and further to that point of, of net neutrality. And speaking of buying books online, I'll, I'll use this as an opportunity to plug uh, for those listeners that are interested in checking out Bob's book, Climate Nomics. You can order that from your favorite online retailer or through uh, any local bookstore if you request for them to get that shipped over to you. It's a great read. If you haven't read it yet, it's available now. Uh, so Bob, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast. Oh, Matt, thanks for having me. My key takeaway from today's episode is how important this investment will be to the continued growth and stability of the clean energy market moving forward. I know we've all heard the term solar coaster before, so hopefully this investment creates more of a solar highway where it's smooth, straight, and predictable. This is especially relevant given the extension of the investment tax credit for an additional 10 years. 
Given the significant number of clean energy jobs and businesses we've already seen here in the state, I'm confident this investment, should it be passed by the House, will only further the growth here in North Carolina, leading to even more jobs and more opportunities to decarbonize the grid. And you know the deal. Let's stay in touch on Twitter. Give me a shout, at Matt Abel, for future episode ideas, questions for our next episode, thoughts on today's episode, and your worst energy joke one-liners. And episode 75 of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast is in the books. But before you leave, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share the pod on whatever platform you're listening in from. Sharing this podcast with your network and growing the friends of the pod helps us get just a little bit closer to our shared vision of a clean energy economy for North Carolina. All right, that's it. See you all later.